Hello gamers and welcome to Is This Game Queer? I'm your host Leo and I love video games and overthinking things. In this episode we look at a cheerful little game as we answer the question Is Summer in Mara queer? Summer in Mara is a recent game released in June 2020 that describes itself as a single-player summer adventure. It was released on PS4, Steam, Xbox and Nintendo Switch, which is where I played it. The game was published by Studio Chibi, which is fairly recent, their first game having been released in 2016, and Summer in Mara is their biggest project yet. I did not 100% the game. There were still some collectibles that were missing, and a mission that I'm not sure if I was supposed to finish or if it was bugged. But with me finishing the storyline, my voice tells me I took 25 hours or more, so there is a substantial amount of a game. In Samarin Mara, you play as Koa, a young girl looking after her home island after her grandmother, Yayahaku, has died. When a strange creature called Napopo arrives on her island, she starts to wonder about the world outside her own home. With the help of Napopo and a few other NPCs, Koa has to save all of Mara and her home island from the evil elites who seek to destroy everything. First off, the good. Samarin Mara is pretty. It's very colorful and the animated cutscenes are gorgeous. It's also very casual. There's no time pressure to anything you do. Even people who tell you to hurry up will wait for you to finish whatever else you are doing. All your crops will grow without watering. It just takes them a bit longer. And your animals don't care if you feed them or not. It only affects whether they give you products. You could just go away sailing for hours and end and not worry about what happens on your little island. The game is very cheerful. Koa always thinks the best of everyone and will help anyone who asks, even when she doesn't really like them. There's always something to do. If you don't have animals to feed, you might have crops to tend to. If not crops, you might need some more wood. There are always quests to do, and new NPCs to talk to, and new islands to discover, but just animals out in the sea that you have to rescue and then bring back to your island. I meant to try out Samarin Mara the first day I got it, and suddenly it was several hours later, because every time I accomplished something, there was something else that needed doing. I find this very pleasing, others might not. At the same time, because there is no time pressure or schedule, and because you don't have to be constantly watering and feeding your crops and animals, you could just ignore everything and explore. There are several NPCs with their own personalities, character arts, and quests. You further the storyline of the game by doing quests for all these NPCs, which in turn will either unlock new quests or give you new crafting recipes, which you can use to upgrade your tools or build new structures on your island. 
or even create new ingredients for other crafting recipes. One of the things I enjoyed the most were the collectible Kickstarter backer messages, which I found all around the game map in the form of message grabs. These were basically all very positive and cute. There were marriage proposals, love confessions, messages to loved ones and children and friends. One that especially made me happy was a bottle I found in the middle of the sea, away from everything, that simply said, Quidos say trans rights. It was a simple small message, but having that come up randomly in the game was meaningful to me, and might be for you too. Then not so good. No game is perfect, and Samarin Mara is no exception. It's not always very intuitive, and there are times where I had no idea how to do what I was supposed to do next. At times I had no idea if the things I was doing had any effect on the game whatsoever. I would leave offerings to the island deities, but even to this point, I don't know if that made any difference in my game whatsoever, or if that was just something I could do if I wanted to. The quests are unlocked in certain order for each NPC, but some of these are dependent on other NPCs, and they are not always tied to whether you actually can fill that quest yet. For example, at one point I had three quests all waiting, because I could not yet produce the items I had to get to fulfill them. This could get pretty frustrating, especially in a game where I was so used to just doing another quest if I was stuck on one. I do it when I'm stuck on all of them. On the topic of missions, a lot of the quests are simple fetch quests. Go and get this. Go and craft this and bring it back to me. Take this item to that other NPC. This got pretty repetitive very fast. And although most of it had some characterization or word building hidden in the dialogue, other times it just felt like busy work. Something put in the game to make it seem like there was more to it. Which is a pity, really, because there was plenty to do. It didn't feel like there was much of a point to some of the quests, and they could have been cut without affecting the quality of the game, except maybe positively. The NPCs, while varied, were not all pleasant. At times I was despairing because all the characters asking me to do things were unpleasant or arrogant or just downright mean. And yet Koa would help them and do things for them and bring their messages to each other even when she had already realized they were just being bullies. Some of these characters got better over the story, some did not. The game economy was a bit unbalanced. This might be a minor gripe, but it did really bother me. You start making your money with crops, which you grow from seeds, which you have to buy from another island, because there is, to my knowledge, no way of producing the seeds yourself. This gets really tiring because you start with only a few fields, which will only produce a few vegetables at a time, which will not sell for much money. 
You can also fish and gather items to sell. But all these things might come up in another fetch quest. And if you sell all those expensive rare fish, you'll be cursing yourself in half an hour when you are tasked to bring back fire of them. And then pigs happened. Pigs are the second animal you unlock throughout the game, after chickens and before sheep. And they basically broke all the economy for me. It took me no time at all to gather 10 pigs on my island, which I then fed with carrots. Every four carrots I got truffles, which were multiplied by the number of pigs. And the truffles would sell to people who liked them for 70 gold a piece or more, depending on the merchant. This is a lot. And so in the end game, I didn't have to bother doing any farming or gathering or anything outside of what the quest needed. All I needed was enough carrots to feed my pigs to make all the truffle money. There were some bugs in the game. I didn't find anything game-breaking, but there were a couple of annoying things. Fortunately, I found workarounds to most of them, and a few of them were even patched while I was playing. I should note that I was playing very early, soon after the game's release, so this might be very different by now. And then, the important part. Is Samurai Mara queer? I can say, yes. I did have some, well, suspicions early on, when the lighthouse keeper Saimi talks about Koa's grandmother in very fun terms, though it takes much longer into the game before it's confirmed that yes, she was in love with Yaya Haku. And when Yaya went to her own island, presumably to raise Koa, she broke Saimi's heart. So deep was this heartbreak that Saimi will risk a lot to keep her last reminder of Haku. However, it's not just heartbroken old lesbians in the lighthouses. There is another canon-confirmed queer couple in Samarin Mara, and they are the first NPCs you encounter, aside from your grandmother, in the prologue. Caleb and Noho are two merchants you meet when you first leave your home island to visit the one to the north of you. At first you don't know that they are a couple, they seem like just co-workers. However, throughout their long questlines, you get little tidbits, stories, anecdotes. All the times they spend together, everything they do for each other, gifts that they are trying to give to each other that you will often have to get. And then, at some point, Caleb is planning another gift, something made in gold and silver, showing how close they are. And when you deliver this gift, he says it's for the anniversary, which it then turns out Noho forgot about. And when you have to get Noho's gift, well, it turns out another NPC knows it's for their anniversary, knows that Noho probably forgot it. So everybody knows these two are a couple, knows they have spent most of their lives together, knows who is more likely to forget. So here are two old merchants who have spent most of their lives together, who know each other in and out, who might whine and complain, but in the end, they love each other. And as they state, it doesn't really matter if an anniversary is forgotten or if a gift comes late, because they love each other and they will get through it together. 
This was a really refreshing look in a game that isn't really about romance for all that you see several couples throughout the game. Most of them straight, yes, but not all of them. And Caleb and Noho aren't treated any differently from the other couples. If anything, they are the most established, the ones who are most in love, who will blush at each other and just be happy and gay and there. In conclusion, Summer in Mora is a fun, cheerful game, which is pretty peaceful with its lack of time pressure and its open world that you can explore at your own pace, after you upgrade your ship anyway. It is at times frustrating, but not too much, in my opinion anyway. And it is, without a doubt, queer in its story. Thank you for listening to me ramble about this little game.